Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast, where I am your host of this show, Nicolette Richet. And it's always such a pleasure bringing guests onto our show that are the epitome of what it means to be a healing hero, to be an Eat Real to Heal warrior, someone who takes their health into their own hands. And on today's show, we have Megan Telpner. Now, Megan Telpner is out of Toronto. She is a Toronto-based nutritionist and the author and founder of the Academy, Academy of Culinary Nutrition. So Megan has been told numerous times uh, that her humor and that her engaging nature and her real approach to living an awesome, healthy life is really what draws people in and inspires them to stick to her programs of Eating Real to Heal. Now at her school at the Academy, Academy of Culinary Nutrition, she has been busy over the last decade growing this global tribe of vibrant healing, living advocates. And she's also the author of two best-selling books that were picked up by a publisher. The first one being Undiet, which is all about eating your way to vibrant health. And then she went on to create the Undiet Cookbook. Now, Megan is also doing so much more. She has her school where she's also coaching coaches on how to go out there and start their own businesses in the art of culinary nutrition and the science of healing the body of illnesses via food. She uses her kitchen as a living laboratory. And in this show, you're going to discover her journey of growing up with health issues, which eventually led to depression and diagnosis of Crohn's disease, and how she took her health into her own hands to become symptom-free all by turning to food as medicine. So I'm so excited to have her on the show where she gets to tell her story of what it means to eat real to heal. Now, before we dive into the podcast, I also want to share with you that we have some news. Number one is the Green Mustache, which is our collection of plant-based whole foods, 100% organic restaurants. Well, we have a new menu and I'm hoping by the time this podcast has aired that the menu will be live. So if you are in the Edmonton region of Canada, if you are on the West Coast in British Columbia, where our other five locations are, please come check out the Green Mustache and our amazing new menu. It's been five years since we've had to change our menu and we've decided to do it just to shake things up. Um, and I hope you like it. So get into a Green Mustache, try our menu, Tell us what you think about it because we want your feedback as well. Also, um, as this show is airing, please note that the early bird special for our nutrition and detox coaching program is most likely coming up. So get that early bird special, sign up for our nutrition and detox coaching program where we teach you the art and science of using the Gerson therapy to reverse diagnose chronic degenerative diseases. So our program is fast, it's effective in actually reversing diseases of all kinds. People need to know that they have the power in their own kitchen to be able to turn their health around. So we teach you how to do that. 
and we teach it to you so that you can go out there and work with clients on your own once you graduate. And so you can be out there spreading the message that diet is critical to maintaining health, but it's also critical to reversing disease as well. So sign up for that. And also, if you know of anyone who's currently at Lionsgate Hospital, please tell them that we have our incredible plant-based vending machine that serves fresh food in there daily. We stock our vending machine with food that we make that morning. It goes in, we pull it out at night, so you're guaranteed to get fresh food every single day out of our vending machine at Lionsgate Hospital. It's quite revolutionary. It's one of a kind. We're so excited. It took us four years to actually get into the hospital by working with the province, the provincial government, the Vancouver Coastal Health Authorities, and Lionsgate Hospital as well. And we hope to be in all hospitals soon. So go tell the people who are in the hospital right now that they can get clean, healthy, nutritious, organic, plant-based food. And now stay tuned as we jump into an amazing show with Megan Telpner on this episode of Eat Real to Heal. Uh, welcome, Megan, to our Eat Real to Heal podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to chat with you. I really um, was excited to have you on the show, not just because you're also one of you know Canada's top female entrepreneurs, um, not just because you started the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, but really because our show is all about bringing people on who have taken their health into their own hands when the medical system wasn't able to support them in achieving their health goals, um, and especially with managing and even reversing their illness. And I just love that you did that. So I'm really curious about your journey, and I want to take people back to the very beginning um, to you know what your lifestyle was like before you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease um, what life you know what were you doing in your life what were you eating um, how were you living and then really to paint that picture of what it takes to number one understand you have a health issue then to go through the process of getting diagnosed and three then deciding on what treatment options to follow and then four what looks like what does life look like afterwards to maintain the health that you desire so um let's go back to the beginning shall we sure thing um i think that most people when they go back to the beginning go back to the beginning of the symptoms for the condition they're currently dealing with which is not far back enough yeah, let's go back in those cases. So like as a child, I had relatively good health, um, but I had sort of, I developed eczema once in a while and that kind of thing. And just, you know, put on the cortisone cream and move on with it. When I was around 15, um, I had sort of more serious psoriasis and had attempted a gluten-free diet, and this would have been in like 1995, where there weren't many options available and weren't even the resources to find out what quinoa was or, you know, these things that are so widely available now. And I, so I attempted that at that point when I was around 18, I was diagnosed with like a form, a mild form of depression, and I took it upon myself to find some alternate solutions. I remember sitting in the bathroom with this bottle of pills that my doctor prescribed and just feeling like this wasn't the path I wanted to go down. Um, just 
intuitively and like I, I was not into physical health and well-being. Like I was more into the arts and fashion. And so I didn't have a huge understanding of physiology in any way. I just, something in me was just like, this isn't right for me. Um, and at that point I attempted again to go gluten-free and I did and all my symptoms went away. Um, and then I went to university and slowly the you know, poor dietary choices crept back in and I lived a fairly typical university lifestyle. I, didn't, I wasn't in a residence. I had my own apartment, but I didn't know how to cook. So it was just a lot of packaged foods that I was eating um, and under quite a bit of stress. And then upon graduating from university, and this would have been in 2003. And what were you studying in university at this point? I got a, a bachelor of applied arts, a bachelor of applied arts degree in fashion communications. Okay, like so fashion. not in the health world or anything like that. Completely different. Okay, no, I had no interest in health. Which saying that sounds so ridiculous, but it just wasn't in my realm, and, and usually isn't until people have to have it in their you know consciousness that it's changed now. Like there's a lot more information available, and a lot more people are are informed. Um, but at the time, it just didn't matter to me, wasn't relevant. Um, so after graduating from university, I did a intensive bike challenge. It was a fundraiser where I rode, I trained and rode my bike from Toronto to Montreal um, to raise money for people living with AIDS. And in that time was eating, doing like the carb loading and eating those power gels and power bars and Gatorades and all those things that, you know, are complete garbage. And by the end of it, I was completely depleted. Um, so my next step was to, <laughs> I decided to go backpacking in Africa um, for the fall, sort of take a bit of a gap year before I figured out, you know, what my career move would be. And so after doing this intensive bike ride, I got all my vaccinations for traveling to Africa. Uh, and about a week after getting all the vaccinations, I had five in one day, like yellow fever, meningitis, um, cholera, got, like all, I don't think I, I did, got rabies. I got, uh, there's a, I can't remember all of them, but I got pretty sick a week later. Um, How, just, like, what did that look like? Fever, chills, nausea, diarrhea. Um, and I sort of just chalked it up really to nerves. I never really made the connection between all these things that sort of culminated in the perfect storm for developing a disease in the body. You know, the years of stress and poor diet and high physical exertion and a diet, a summer diet basically consisting of sugar and food coloring and then getting all these vaccinations and my immune system basically was like, we're done. Yeah. Um, and then went, I went traveling in Africa through Mozambique and Swaziland, South Africa, and then up to West Africa to Senegal, um, dealing with ongoing intermittent digestive issues. And it was also, you know, I was traveling alone, um, in a place very different from where I grew up, uh, in a very different culture and different practices. And, you know, the, it was just very different. And so that was stressful as well. And so it really was looking back. And that's why I say, like, you never really look back far enough. It was the perfect storm for what developed in my body. And so I came home. I left around mid-September. I came back towards the end of December and began a tour of doctors to try and determine what was wrong. And at that point, I'd been... Um, 
basically written off by a lot of doctors is saying, you know, every, all your tests are showing up normal. It must be in your head. It's stress, it's hormones, it's whatever you're going through, you're trying to figure out your life. You know, I was dismissed. I was sent to psychologists. I was sent to tropical disease specialists. I would, and every test was coming back sort of quote unquote normal. Um, and this went on for three years oh where, you know, bless the Canadian healthcare system. I was able to go and see a ton of specialists and get a bunch of tests done. And I was also going to natural health practitioners and it wasn't until, so this started in the summer of 2003, um, in the summer of 2006 was when I had to take a leave of absence from work because the symptoms had progressed and progressed and progressed. And what were those symptoms at this point now? Because were you like doubled over in excruciating pain or was it just the kind of thing that you can sort of live with day in and day out? So therefore doctors are like, well, you're not an emergency case. um, So we're not going to dive even further, but you're um, you know, just go about your day. What kind of symptoms? Yeah. So it was, it was the symptoms similar to irritable bowel syndrome, basically. So intermittent periods of, of constipation, diarrhea, uh, low mood, low energy. I wasn't sleeping well. Um, I also started putting on weight. So I started doing, um, more intensive exercise with a trainer, uh, and, just so those were the symptoms until they progressed and progressed and progressed until I was dealing with like bloody mucusy diarrhea. And at the point, at that point I had a boyfriend over in England, um, and was trying to travel and see him and he would come visit me. And, and with anything of this nature, like anything that sort of disrupts your norm can cause an unexpected blast of symptoms basically. Um, and so I was 25, 26 at the time, and it was devastating that I was unable to make plans. I would make plans to go out in the night and then couldn't go out that evening, or I would make plans to go away for a weekend, and then the day before I'd feel so sick that I couldn't go away. Um, and so then I started being told, well, you're depressed. I'm like, I'm not depressed, which is what's causing this. It's the symptoms in my body that are affecting my emotional and spiritual being because I can't live my life. And as those symptoms got worse and worse, it, I, I was finally um, basically bad enough to get more involved testing done, which involved a colonoscopy and biopsy, which was when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in the summer of 2006. And did they do the biopsy because of the fact that you had the bloody mucousy diarrhea? Did they like, were they expecting to find a mass or polyps or something like that? I think at that point, I mean, at that point I had diagnosed myself with Crohn's disease. (laughs) I was like, these are the, I didn't know if Crohn's or colitis, but I was like, I had started at like through that whole period when these doctors were not able to help me, I started doing my own research and trying to figure things out and was reading as many nutrition books as I could. And I'd actually, by that point also enrolled in nutrition school. I ended up deferring because I was too sick to go, but I'd bought all my textbooks for the course and started reading them. And I was reading through, I believe it was Dr. Jensen's guide to better bowel care and reading the section on inflammatory bowel disease. And I was like, I have all of these symptoms. And so I just went to the doctor and I was like, these are the list of symptoms I'm experiencing. And I left out the stuff that didn't fall into that diagnosis so that at that point, then they could say, okay, you're exhibiting these symptoms. Now let's go get tested. And then I was tested and came back positive for what I had suspected it was. 
So did the colonoscopy or what, what other tests did you have to confirm the diagnosis? Just so people out there who are listening, if they all of a sudden are like, oh, well, I have similar symptoms, I think it might be Crohn's, that really what I found with my clients and with my own children, um, I have three kids, and you have to pretty much tell the doctors what tests to do. Like you have to yeah. let them know, hey, I think it's this. You have to put up with the fact that they might say you Google too much because I've been told that before, but every yeah. single time the test to come back positive, um, but they weren't willing to run the test before I suggested them. Um, and so what, like, just so we know, like if somebody out there feels like they do have Crohn's disease specifically, what tests should they go out and ask for? Right. So I don't want anyone to panic being like, oh my goodness, like I have seen blood or mucus in my stool from time to time. I must have an inflammatory bowel disease I'm going to have for life. Like, please don't. Um, and that's the downside of, of Dr. Google is that you can overdiagnose yourself very easily. Yeah. So this was like consistent regular symptoms. I didn't have any other tests done at the time because I didn't know what else to ask for. I mean, again, this was 12, 13 years ago. So there wasn't the abundance of functional medicine information out there to say like, I want this test done to check for my inflammatory markers. And, and I'm not versed in blood work. That's my husband's department. He's a functional medicine practitioner. So he now when I go and I, you know, he'll requisition specific tests that he wants to see. But um, so it was just the colonoscopy and the patches of inflammation were so clear that that was a diagnosis. And when I received and one of the things I started doing very early on, two things that everyone needs to do, and I'm sure you've, you've talked about this with the guests you had, but to have that health resume written. So um, you know sort of your own chronology. You know, at the age of five, I had chronic ear infections and had my first course of antibiotics. And at nine, I had this happen. And at 13, I was put on birth control pill because my periods were irregular. Whatever your own health history is, to document that. And the other thing I started doing was, you know, from when the symptoms started was getting copies of every test that was run, every diagnosis, everything. They're like, well, send it to your doctor. I was like, I would like a copy too. So yeah. make sure you do that. Everyone has to do that, whether you're optimally in perfect health and doing it, but also if you're dealing with a health challenge. Mm -hmm. And so when I received the copy of my biopsy report, it said chronic active inflammation, um, that was, I don't remember the exact words, but in line with a uh, colitis diagnosis. Um, and, but I looked at where they had found the inflammation and it wasn't actually in line with colitis, it was in line with Crohn's. Mm -hmm. And what um, the difference is that colitis typically only affects the colon, whereas Crohn's can be any part of the digestive tract from the gums in your mouth to the exit point of your bum. And so I went and I took it and had a second opinion from another gastroenterologist who confirmed it as a Crohn's diagnosis. It didn't really matter to me <laughs> what it was. It was that I had this and that the um, outlook was not good, that conventional medicine to this day tells patients that there's no known cause and no known cure. And there's virtually nothing you can do to affect the prognosis of the disease. And this is what I was told. And my gastroenterologist said to me, you know, keep eating your cheeseburgers, drink your milkshakes. Um, that's not going to be the solution. And I remember thinking like, I, I don't eat cheeseburgers. I don't drink milkshakes anyway. And again, with my fashion degree, <laughs> not knowing anything about, I mean, I'd come to learn it just by my own independent research, but it seemed to me to be absolute common sense that what, what passed through the, the digestive tract would affect the health 
of the tissues of the digestive tract. Um, I mean, I'm no doctor, but that seemed to me to make perfect sense. And you also saw by eliminating the gluten and by going to those, uh, you know, extreme measures. And back then it was extreme because um, you really, it was so hard to find. Like now there's like a thousand gluten-free flours. Like if you're going to make, you know, your own stuff that you can at least access, get access to where I know back then there really wasn't. There wasn't, I was living, I was living on uh, Quaker rice cakes and margarine because I knew I couldn't have dairy. And I was like, well, what else do you put on them? Yeah. Um, which is why I believe, um, now knowing what I know, you know, when they say that there's no early symptoms of these diseases, I don't believe it. I think what happens is that most people eating a standard diet don't feel good, don't feel good, don't feel good, and then have an extreme reaction where as because I had altered my diet to the point where I was actually just completely nutrient deprived. Um, but I think also because of that, I had a slower progression to a full-blown diagnosis. Um, which I'm grateful for because it meant that when I was diagnosed at the time, the doctor said, you're not bad enough to need medication or surgery, but let's take a sort of watch and see approach. And because of his arrogance mixed with um, ignorance, I would say, it invited me to <laughs> um, defy him a little bit. So it, it invited me to find a solution that actually made sense because what he was telling me didn't make sense. I'm not sick enough to need medications. So let's wait and see until I am. And I had said to him, I'm going to try acupuncture. And his response was that there's no proof, which there isn't. There's no evidence that says that if you get acupuncture, you're going to cure an autoimmune disease. But there is evidence that says it can be part of specific healing actions in the body but what often they're looking for in, in medicine is they take, you know, you take A to get B result always. Yeah. Um, and that that one thing has to be a factor that influences the outcome in order for it to be a successful intervention. And with natural remedies, it's usually here's 25 things that are going to work together to give you a long-term benefit. Exactly. And the thing that... I mean, I, and that's what exactly what we teach, what the two things that you said specifically were, I love the health resume that you call it. We call it, um, um, oh my gosh, what do we call it? We call it a whole health. So it's a whole health page and it yeah. has your life in decades. So it has you from zero to 10, 11 to 20 and so on. And you keep it on one page and it's a landscape view. And that's what you carry around with you. And it lives in the very first page of your binder. And behind that, the second thing you said is you keep a photocopy of every single one of your hospital. Yeah. And so that that way your whole health page is backed up by evidence of your lab work and lab results. Now, the thing is, though, is what I love about this health resume, as you call it, is that you can present that to any doctor and immediately they get the full picture because there's no way they're going to go through 50 pages of documents or 100 in some cases or 1,000 for some people who are really sick. And there's no way their brains can put a picture together. So you have to paint that picture for them. And those are two really life-saving things that you can do. And I've had clients who've done that and they've actually been able to go back and say in one client, she was an Olympic athlete, to say, I actually think I have a genetic condition, which is what we, like from looking at our health history, we're like, none of this makes sense from a chronic disease perspective and based on the lifestyle that you have, where everything was like amazing. 
and she wasn't getting results with the therapy we teach. And in this case, I was like, well, you broke your bone 27 times. Like people don't break their bones 27 times. Um, and so then that's when we saw that there must be something going on. And so that was about one of my only genetic cases that ever came through where most people, like 97% of these illnesses they have are lifestyle diseases, right? They're chronic degenerative diseases. And so um, in another woman, by doing that, creating her health resume, um, she went through it herself. She's not a doctor. She's not a nutritionist. She doesn't have a sciences background, but she was actually able to see that three times, three different specialists had missed that she had actually been diagnosed with a condition, but never treated. And that was because too many papers are coming through and too yeah. much for the doctors to look at. But when she went through it all collectively, she's like, I see the pattern. Where's the evidence in the lab work? The evidence is there to show that she had this condition, which actually she was able to get treated for it and saved her life. So it's so important that people do this. And you have a young child, right? How old is your son? He's going to be two next week. Exactly. So you start this from birth, like everything from the details of the birth and the pregnancy all the way through for the rest of his life. And then, you, you know, you would teach him how to do this for himself. And then he does it for his partner and his kids. And it is, it's truly an exceptional life-saving tool. So please, everybody out there who's listening, create your health resume. It takes 10 minutes to go back and remember all the things. And then even get someone else to interview you and be like, hey, between 11 and 20, what happened to you? Did you have any diseases, illnesses, surgeries, vaccinations, traumas, mental, spiritual, emotional, physical? It could be anything. And by getting somebody to ask you, it actually triggers your brain. Because I have a lot of people who, a lot of my clients forget that they actually ever had an illness or a surgery. They're yeah. like, oh yeah, I totally forgot that I only have one kidney and I had a kidney. Like, you know, and I'm like, you forgot? That you only have yeah. one kidney or else they'll say like they forgot they had cancer or they forgot they had, you know, psoriasis. And in this case, that connection between eczema, digestive issues, psoriasis, the depression, you know, we see these patterns and those patterns help doctors also identify trends. And it's really yeah. helpful for everybody. So thank you for sharing that. Um, another part, I just want to go back a little bit because, um, I really love how you highlighted that you're eating like rice cakes with margarine, which is probably one of the most nutrient devoid diets. Um, and I know you weren't just eating that, but I understand why you had to eat that. Now, did your parents ever, you know, talk about health and wellness in the house? Because I'm just curious about the moment where you're like, the doctor gave you the pills back when you were like 16 or 18. And you're like, this doesn't feel right. Like, was there a connection there um, between my, yeah. So my, um, my my grand my maternal grandmother my mom's mom died at 48 of cancer so my mom was about 24 when her mother died mm -hmm. and then my mom lost her brother uh, her younger brother was 30 when he died of cancer okay and my grandfather always said doctors bury their mistakes and so there is a strong um distrust in conventional medicine, in my mother specifically. My dad is at his own health challenges and, and everyone you know, comes into adulthood with their own blueprint. Uh, so there was, there was, there's always been that um, invitation to question um, medical authority, but we didn't know the options. So it was good to ask the questions, but there was also not a whole lot of knowledge around the alternatives 
Okay. Let's say. So when my mom's younger brother was sick, my mom was taking him to a naturopath and doing all this stuff. And he was actually on a macrobiotic diet, which he was experiencing improvement. Um, but he was also in a, a trial at the Mayo Clinic. And they said that it's one thing or the other. He had to go back to the, into the trial. He couldn't continue with the supplements. And after he went back in there, he never came out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- there was that, but there was never a strong confidence in what the alternatives were. So the benefit I had was that when, you know, I was going to all these doctors and, and questioning this and trying to figure it out that I did have my, my parents' support, specifically my mom came with me to every appointment mm-hmm. and she would ask the questions because it got to the point where I just couldn't tell the story anymore without crying. So she would help ask the questions. And when we decided that we would try acupuncture, it was actually my parents at my parents' urging to give this a try. I was like, what, what's this going to do now? Like I was just so tired of the process and just wanted to get on with living my life as people do in their mid twenties. And did the acupuncture help or? Yes. Oh, the acupuncture helped. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, so, so it was in August of 2006 that I was, got the diagnosis and I was supposed to go back to the doctor in January of 2007. Um, I deferred studying nutrition until January, 2007 and decided I would spend those three months getting better. I would treat getting healthy as my full-time job and decided it would be the most fun I ever had in my life because otherwise it wasn't going to work. And so I was going for acupuncture five days a week. I was drinking the Chinese medicinal teas that are the most vile thing I've ever had. So you went to Um, a TCM doctor? Yeah. Okay. And sorry, do you have a follow up on that? Oh no, I was just curious. Like, okay. and did the traditional Chinese medicine doctor was that also the acupuncturist as well? Yeah, they did both. Okay, good. Yes, he did. Just both. so people know, you can find an acupuncturist who's certified acupuncturist, but who's not a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, or the other, right. you can just go to a TCM doctor, and they would have been trained in acupuncture as well. So just so people know. Yes, he was the full package. Uh, and, and then I discovered that place in my apartment called the kitchen and I learned to cook and I was just deep into, I was basically reading all the textbooks for nutrition school covered like not the massive textbooks, like staying healthy with nutrition by Elson Haas. And I was reading them cover to cover and highlighting them and, and made my own list of foods that potentially would alleviate inflammation in the body and a list of foods that would exacerbate inflammation in the body. And I only ate from the one column, which was very, very long and predominantly made up of foods I'd never heard of or seen before. And on the no list was gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol, caffeine. That was basically it. I'm like, I can do this. Like, this is easy. And so, and then I gave up my gym membership. So no more 5 a.m. workouts with the trainer until I thought I was going to vomit. Started started practicing yoga Uh, through the yoga studio I was going to. I was introduced to a meditation teacher, started meditating. And like it was, I was operating on a different frequency. I started reading spiritual books. I stopped having the TV on constantly for the first few sessions of acupuncture. I wanted to listen to music because I like couldn't deal with my own silence. Um, And within a month, the symptoms of Crohn's and all the digestive issues I've been dealing with for the past three and a half years, probably more than that when you really think about it, but were completely gone. 
And within three months of this sort of regiment, uh, I was healthier than I could ever have remembered being in my whole life. I was happier. I was excited about life. I had energy. It was a complete transformation in, in, in the frequency in which I was living my life. That's incredible because um, a lot of, I mean, I know I have lots of people who contact me and they've been battling Crohn's for, you know, decades and they've gone through every medication and we all, and the, for people who don't know, the medication for Crohn's is so debilitating. I rarely meet somebody who's had Crohn's for decades where they can actually work. Like they're on medical leave, sick leave, disability leave. Um, the medications are so um, strong that if you overdose on them even by a few micrograms, then they become a carcinogen in the body. So they can cause cancer. So now it's like this constant management of your meds. The doctors you know, are like, okay, well, that's not working now, so let's try this, and let's put this combination together. It's like truly you become like a living laboratory for the medical system as they try and piecemeal a treatment for you based on your symptoms. So it's not about treating the Crohn's, it becomes about treating the symptoms. Like, oh, now you have like excessive diarrhea. Now you have excessive migraines as a result of the meds. Now you have excessive inflammation and bloating. Now you have, you know, excessive weight loss, like, you know, or weight gain. And so it's a really, really challenging, um, you know, if you, if you do have Crohn's right now, if you've been diagnosed, or if you think you may have Crohn's right now, or even if you've been living with it for, the, for a long time, by implementing, you know, the things that Megan has done or our program um, as well, which gets amazing results. At the end of the day, it's the same thing. Like you have to go back to real food, the food that has like real fiber in it naturally as mother nature built it, um, not the refined processed food. And I know the list that you're talking about, um, we have a similar list as well. It's basically eat all of these foods here on the right-hand side that says food to eat in abundance and foods to avoid 100%. And when you do that, it's incredible what happens to your health. And you can turn your health around literally in as little as three months, is which is what we see for many of my clients that have even some of the most debilitating diseases. Anywhere within six days to three months, they are fundamentally a different human being. Literally, like your cells turn over so quickly. Yes, I, I have two things I want to say. One is that um, I appreciate you outlining sort of the trajectory of what happens, the prognosis when you have one of these diseases. Because I, in past, usually in mainstream media, um, I've been highly criticized for taking three months. Like, oh, well, how fortunate you can take three months off and do this. But that was three months in my entire life. Yeah. It's not having to take a couple weeks off here and there for my entire life, which adds up substantially more in cost, in lost wages, in quality of life, in all of it. It was a three-month period that reset basically the expression of my genes in my body. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so worth every single effort you can put in. And and to do as much as you can at one time that you can reasonably handle without that becoming more of a stress. Um, the other thing I want to mention uh, was we had uh, a little community event in Toronto last night, and I met a woman um, she, who came who came to one of my events last summer, and she'd asked a question at the end because she was dealing with serious digestive issues, and she'd come because she thought she had Crohn's, and she'd been sent, she said, 
she's fine on the weekends, but during the week at work, she has like constant diarrhea and upset stomach. And she'd gone for colonoscopy and a biopsy and all this blood work and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I said, well, what are you doing during the week uh, that you're not doing on the weekend? She's like, I don't know, nothing. I was like, do you drink coffee at work? She goes, yeah, I drink it all day. They're always serving it. I have coffee and milk all day. I was like, do you drink that on the weekend? She said, no. And it was like this thing that was so straightforward. And when you look at those foods lists, like, like I, you know, my entire program at my school is 100% gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free. Because when you can get rid of those things, you're at least eliminating so many of the potential triggers of the most common chronic diseases that we're seeing. Like and coffee and alcohol as well. 99% of it, right? In 99% yeah. of it. Um, I love that, you know, it's a simple question that you can ask yourself, but I love that you did ask that of this woman because we don't often take the time to reflect on, you know, what's happening, and especially for people who don't understand the relationship between diet and disease. So yeah. I often get the oncology reports and all the diagnostic reports from my clients and they come to my desk and I, so I get to read the oncologist notes or the doc, the physician's notes, which often say, you know, because my clients will say, well, you know, I'm going to change my diet. That's what they tell their doctor. They want to share it with them. You know, like I'm going plant-based, whole food, unrefined. And then, so the doctor will write in there and I have like hundreds of these documents that where the doctors have written don't change your diet because there's no connection between diet and disease. And it's gotten to the point where actually I've, you know, thought about it filing and I'm most likely going to do it at some point in my life in the next few years, but file a class action lawsuit. Um, and, you know, with any one of my clients around any one of their diseases where the doctors write that down because it's actually criminal to say that there's no connection between diet and disease where one of the things when I have doctors will say that to my face, um, I'll say, um, well, if there's no connection between diet and disease, why do you give patients in the hospital an IV bag that has potassium, magnesium, iodine, like nutrients? There's nutrients. Yeah. There's nothing else in that bag but nutrients. And nutrients, those are the same things that are found in food or why do we tell you know patients that they need to take you know vitamin d or why is all of our refined food the packaged cereals and the milks and the you know anything that's packaged and on the grocery store shelf why is it fortified with vitamin c vitamin d vitamin a vitamin e like why, do, why they, do we have to avoid all these nutrients when we're going through chemotherapy exactly and yeah, when they want to suppress the immune system, why do they tell you not to eat greens and not to eat fruits and vegetables and, you know, to minimize and just eat things like bread and protein and, you know, so what is protein? Protein is, you know, it's amino acids. Your body makes the protein in your body. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes back to being nutrients. And so diet does affect your health. So for in the case where you asked that woman, I just love that you did that because, you're getting someone to think about the relationship between what goes in their mouth, what they're literally choosing to put in there, and then how that affects their body. Where I can tell you right now, there are thousands of listeners who have never thought about the relationship between what goes into their body and their, the disease and the symptoms that they have. So I think that's a really powerful tool um, to just be able to ask people questions. You don't have to say, hey, could it be this that's causing that? Just get them to point it out. Yeah. And I, you know, I advise my students in my program because a lot of them um, come into it because their own health staff. And yeah. I always say like, before you go, 
and invest all this money into and time, which we can't, money we can make more of, time you can't get back, but to just eliminate those basic things. And then at least when you go to work with your practitioner, you've done so much of the groundwork yourself so you can really get into the important therapeutic healing stuff. You've gotten rid of the junk that is causing a lot of it and that's caused a lot of the imbalances. And instead you focus that time and your resources, not on like just the multivitamins, which, you know, have their place, but on like the therapeutic stuff that you need to regain and rebalance and get into optimal levels um, for optimal health. Exactly. And I think you brought up a good point there. Um, you know, there is a place for supplements. There's a place for additional nutrients that you can't get via your food. But if people think that they can exercise their way out of a bad diet, if you think you can supplement your way out of a bad diet, and a bad diet, when I talk about that, it's really our standard American diet where it's highly processed and refined. We have these ultra processed foods. Um, and if people don't know what that is, it's the difference between a bag of chickpeas that you soak and cook yourself or a can of chickpeas that has been in a can of aluminum and plastic for maybe two years sitting on a grocery store shelf and then which is a processed food now and then a hummus which has been made already so somebody's taken the can of chickpeas turned it into hummus and then they've add all these crazy preservatives sometimes they put dyes and coloring and salt and sugar and all of that so you have unrefined whole foods, then you have processed whole foods, then you have ultra processed whole foods. So we need to go back to eating these whole foods before they get processed or uh, ultra processed. Um, But I mean, that's the, you know, that's a really good point that you make is that, you know, we have to start with our diet first. And that's, you know, you said it earlier, you went into your kitchen and you use that as a tool to support your healing. And, you know, I love to call it the local pharmacy because that is truly where the local pharmacy is at. Yeah. So important. And there's another thing that I love that you brought up as well and super important for people to understand is that you brought your mom to the appointments for you to advocate for you. And that's something I teach my clients is that really important that if you're in that place where you can't speak up for yourself, where you cannot, um, you know, make demands of, you know, lab results that you need or blood work that you need, or we need to keep looking, bring somebody else with you who doesn't, who isn't emotionally charged and isn't also just weakened by, you know, this experience of being sick and trying to find out the answer. So bring someone with you to the appointment who can ask a list of 10 questions, have those 10 questions prepared in advance, but somebody who's going to speak up for you as well, because you know, I know your husband's a functional medicine practitioner and I love doctors. Doctors are so important on this planet, especially when it comes to acute care or if they're specialized in chronic disease care from the perspective of lifestyle. So a lifestyle functional medicine doctor. So, you know, but at the end of the day, doctors are not taught this information in med school. So we go to doctors. My husband's not a doctor. I want to clarify that. Oh, he's not? He's not a doctor. No, he's a, he's a functional medical medicine practitioner. He is. He's a nutritionist, a clinical nutritionist who studied with the Institute of Functional Medicine. Oh, amazing. The only nutritionist in Canada that has that designation, but he's not a medical doctor. 
Oh, amazing. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> That's amazing. You don't have to like caveat anything you're saying by like, I don't want to hurt her feelings. No, no, no. He looked into med school. He's like, I can't go spend eight years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to study something I will never practice. Exactly. And then you're also bound by different legalities and restrictions. Yeah. And that was the whole reason why I ended up after I wrote my MCAT and did my pre-med courses and started interviewing doctors and said, Hey, this is the kind of doctor I want to be. They're like, those kind of doctors don't exist. You cannot do that. You'll have your license taken away. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. left turn. Let's go do something else. Um, and I'm glad I took the sciences. Anybody out there, like just to let you know, go back to school and study sciences. Like it's super exciting. No pressure. It doesn't matter. Like I did my courses online through Thompson Rivers University in British Columbia. It was amazing. Like incredibly amazing. And if you are interested in your body and interested in health, like go back to school and study anything. Like it's just so much fun to learn these things or take Megan's course. Like I'm sure you cover so much of um, this information as well in your program. Um, okay, good. So I don't have to tiptoe around the practitioner piece. Okay, good. Not that I would you know, <laughs> land our doctors, but we definitely, um, it's important to, for people to know that medical practitioners are not trained in nutrition. They get about anywhere from zero hours to maybe four hours within eight years of med school. So if you're going to your doctor to try and find answers around diet and nutrition, don't expect to get answers, just so no. you know. And it's often the doctors that are quoted, and, and there are some exceptional medical doctors, exceptional nurses, exceptional dietitians um, within the hospital setting. Absolutely. Um, but like any practitioner, there's good ones and bad ones. Um, but it's just, it's just important to recognize that different practitioners have different tools in their toolbox. And what too often happens in the medical system is that doctors spent an exorbitant amount of time studying and apprenticing and, and doing their residency and all that, that there comes to be a bit of a feeling that they actually have all the tools you need in their own toolbox. And if it was at all useful, they would know about it. Um, and that's just not the case. And so optimally you're working with practitioners, doctors, and I don't, I don't like the term alternative health practitioners. Um, I don't think it's alternative. It's just there's two different types of practices, uh, but that are open to working with each other and that are supportive of whatever path makes the most sense for the individual. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's important to shop around as well. Like I love that you said you went and got a second opinion. Super important for people to go do that um, because if you're just going to go off what the first doctor says, and if the first doctor says something and it resonates with you, you're like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Then you're able to apply whatever tools you have and you get results. Like at the end of the day, you're after results, right? Like you would not, I'm sure you would not have stopped if you kind of got half the amount of bloody stool diarrhea and you know, mucus, like for you, you were after like a hundred percent, like we need to get my health back. Is that correct? Yes. I, I mean, I was told what I was attempting to do was impossible. Mm. Um, so it's great. Cause I went into it with no expectations, except maybe this was an insurance policy that if I needed to go on medications or I needed to have surgery, I was going into it in a healthier state than I would have been having been completely depleted. Um, and recognizing too, for everyone that your journey is going to be your own. So healing is, is different for everyone. And the, you're never done. <laughs> you're never like, okay, I got here. I'm free of this. Um, 
so there's, there's ebbs and flows to the path and, and being 100% symptom free may not be the outcome for everybody, but every effort is worth it. There's value in every effort and it's cumulative. Um, and, and so I think it's just important to recognize that because one of the challenges is once there is a medical inter intervention, once there is a surgery or once you're on a medication, um, which can absolutely be life-saving and essential depending on your circumstance, um, but it does complicate the process of returning to a, a natural state of, well, I don't want to say natural, but a unsupported state of health that isn't using medications to mask symptoms where it is actually your body's operations that it's keeping you well. Exactly. And when you um, made these changes, so in that three month period, and you know, that's incredible that you gave yourself that time. If anybody, you know, is thinking about, I don't know, going on vacation or going back to school and you're currently have health issues, why don't you just delay school? Like you can go to school next year or in six months from now, or you can go on vacation next year and six months from now. And, you know, just prioritize your health today and make that your vacation and your learning, you know, so you can, you're going back to school to study your own body as you make these changes to your diet and your lifestyle and just see what happens and, you know, call it a staycation, you know, where your home is your kitchen and you can invite your friends into the process and, you know, have dinners with them where you cook together and be like, I'm experimenting and wanting to see if this is going to work. And you commit to like, you know, whether it's, you know, six weeks, three months, six months, whatever it is. I mean, choose a timeline and stick to it and just prioritize your health now. Because like you said earlier, you know, you could have lived this way, suffering from these symptoms for the rest of your life, you know, and who knows where that would have ended up. And already you weren't able to do the things that you were wanting to do. You were having to cancel plans. So, you know, prioritize your health today, not tomorrow, not next week, like literally today and get started. Um, one of the things too that, um, I want to know is as you're going on this journey, I want to just go back to that connection between the mental health and the diet. Because again, just like people don't realize that disease and diet are connected, a lot of people don't think that their mental state and diet are connected as well. So did you have like brain fog, um, you know, memory lapses? Like what was it besides the feeling of depression? What other symptoms did you have um, that were, you know, classified under mental? I was mental just exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, probably had brain fog. Um, I don't remember. Just kidding. Um, like, I was like, I had memory lapse, I think. I forget. No, I had, I, I had, just was low. I was just low energy. Like I lackluster. I just had no enthusiasm or excitement for life. Um, flat. I just felt flat. Uh, so I didn't have the kind of cognitive impairment where like, I, you know, I walk into a room and didn't know why I walked in there. Like I, I was functioning at my job. The challenge was that I couldn't get there too often or regularly um, because if I was having flare up of symptoms, I couldn't get on the streetcar because there's, you know, it's a little too unpredictable. Yeah. But um, for the most part, I was okay in that way. It was more just deep, deep, deep exhaustion. And then that shifted, your energy came back. Is that correct? After you made these changes and what did that yeah. feel like to have to experience like that? Um, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And I am 
sort of, I'm not big on labels, but I'm a sort of classic type A and it took a lot of restraint to suddenly be like, I have all this energy. I don't need to burn through it every single day. Mm. Like I can like, you know, the day has been full enough. It's okay to like just sit back and relax. But it enabled me, you know, my schedule was that I went for a walk every morning um, early, then I would meditate and have my breakfast and do whatever healing was on the docket for the day, whether it was going for acupuncture. Um, I started doing yoga again. I was a little bit manic, but I, I went to yoga almost every day and they were, you know, hour and a half classes and, and tell, tell me what you loved about yoga. And only this comes from someone who, um, when I first started teaching yoga, you know, 15 plus years ago, I mean, people literally thought I was put in, in a cult, like in a yeah. religious cult, and they were scared that I'd become yeah. a yoga teacher. So, but I know people today who, and I'm always so shocked. I'll get people on the show who are like, you know, I just discovered yoga. And I'm like, it's 2019. Come on. Like there's yeah. yoga everywhere. But I get it also that for a lot of people, it's just something that they thought, you know, it was for, you know, 34 year old women in yoga pants maybe is what they're thinking. It's not for men and it's not for elderly or, you know, so I always have to remember when we use the term yoga, there's going to be so many people listening who are like, I don't know what that is. So tell me yeah, what that so, did for you. Right. So I had experimented, I'd say experimented with yoga when I was in university um, because they offered it at the Y. And it was, uh, I, I can't, I just blanked on the style of yoga. Ashtanga. No, no, no. It was like with the chanting and repeated movements. Uh, Kundalini? Kundalini, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, was like, it's, I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and I went and it was, you know, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And Kundalini, for anyone who's listening, by the way, if that's the first style of it's yoga. not the do, first yoga to do. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, you've got to be free spirit, ready to sing and chant and dance. And like, you, but it's amazing. What we see is a transition from Hatha is a great place to start. Gentle yeah. Hatha yoga. Then you can move into like maybe Ashtanga. And then you yeah. can. Yeah. No, it. I started with that. <laughs> and I was like coming from my fashion school classes at Ryerson, like peeling off my black leather pants and like trying to do this. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And then, um, a couple years later, I ventured back into a local yoga studio that had a flow class and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can, I can get in on this. Um, when I was actually going through my healing, I, I was in Santa Monica, California, and I happened upon a yoga studio called power yoga. And I'm like, power yoga, that's for me. Like, that's <laughs> what I, can do. I would and have matched that up based on your story so far. Yeah. And the teacher was Brian Kest, who is still really well-known at the time. He was sort of at his peak and people would line up around the block for donation-based yoga. And I just didn't, just stumbled into his class. And it was so intense, which was what was serving me at the time. Um, but it was more the things he was saying that kept me coming back. It was like, and it's something I never really understood, but when you start releasing things in your body, you're able to release and untangle stresses and deprogram, but also able to hear things differently and absorb them in a, in a different way into your sort of cellular memory. And he would just talk and there'd be classes where I was just like with tears rolling down my cheeks. And I was like, okay, like there's a different way to approach life. Like not everything has to be so serious and so hard and so a hundred percent or nothing. Um, and so that's what kept me going to those classes over and over and over again, that I, it was helping me burn away 
a lot of this um, frenetic energy. And, and then I've just, I've kept going and now, um, you know, it's now almost, almost 20 years since I started practicing. And for me, the best yoga class is where I just lie down. Like it's taken 20 years to be able to get there and be like, this is the best yoga class I've ever been to where I don't need any effort. I don't have to do anything, but can just switch into that mind space. And, you know, with a two-year-old and a business and all these things going on, like, that's all that I have at the end of the day. Um, but it, it was those first initial classes that, that affected me physically and emotionally that kept me coming back and that allowed it to become something that was regular in my life. And I still will, you know, dip into those kinds of classes and I, I love them. But, you know, after having my son, I didn't do much for a full year and then did an hour long audio class that I used to do all the time. Like it was nothing. And I did it and like literally couldn't walk for four days. And I'm like, I am not in the same body I was when I was 27 doing yoga every single day. But um, that, that sort of has been my journey. And it's still, you know, for me, it's, it's the ultimate physical and mental therapy. Yeah. And, you know, about the yoga as well, it's to remember, I, you know, I really appreciate that you said I'm not in the same body because after having kids for me as well, um, it was interesting because I'd go into certain poses and I was like, uh, my belly, I actually have to like lift it up and move it to the side. My organs have shifted and it's pinching an organ when I like try and bend in a certain twist in a certain way. And so then I was like, you know what? Like, is, you know, a fast flow power class, the yoga for me post children, given, you know, how much I work and the fact that, you know, my weight didn't come off as fast as it does for me, you know, for other people. And the beauty about it, it's like going to a doctor where you get a second opinion, you can go to another yoga class with another teacher. And there's, you know, hundreds of different styles of yoga. At the end of the day, yoga really is about breathing. It's about stretching. It's about giving yourself a time out and just, um, slowing down. It's about, you know, spiritually shifting, mentally, emotionally, physical shifting. And you can do that in lots of different ways. It also doesn't mean you have to go to a class with a teacher every time. Yoga can literally be like, throw your mat on the ground. And even if you don't have a mat, throw a blanket on the ground. Um, And if you don't have a blanket, just get on the ground, whatever the ground is. And you can lay there, you can twist your body, you can breathe, you can, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour and a half class. It could be 20 minutes. You know, yoga is also giving to other people. It could be hugging somebody, smiling, karmic yoga. It could be sitting in your office chair and then just swiveling around and taking 10 deep breaths. So for anybody out there who's had any presumptions about what yoga is, just know that it can happen anywhere at any time. Okay, so let's get back into what a day in the life looks like um, for you. So and, and was this in that three-month period when you were healing yourself or is this consistently now as well? Oh, no, that was when I had no job, no children. Okay, let's let's, paint that picture out. I'll try not to interrupt too much. And then I also want you to paint what your picture looks like now. Like, what is your health regime now, Um, you know, with a busy career and a toddler um, and a partner? So let's go back to you. You would go to yoga, go to your treatment. I would go to my treatment, go to yoga, buy some food, and I went grocery shopping every single day. And just, I was filling my days with things that were bringing charm and joy and delight. And so I would 
spend the afternoon like reading or cooking or socializing, like doing things with people I enjoyed being with. And at the time I'd gotten quite involved with the meditation community because I wasn't living where I normally am. So I was meeting people and, um, and yeah, it was, my days were full of good stuff. I was exhausted by the end of the day. Um, you need substantially more sleep when you're trying to heal your body. And I was getting long hours of sleep. I, that was around the time I gave up television because I, um, I was raised, I was raised in Winnipeg. Uh, but, um, and for anyone who is not in Canada, it's a small city in the middle of the country that's very, very cold for most of the year. And there's always a rule that if the sun was shining, we couldn't be inside watching TV. And I was suddenly living in California and the sun was always shining. Um, so I gave up television. And I think just by doing that, I blocked out so much negative media and just all of that. And the internet was not what it was. There was not social media. There was not smartphones. I don't even think I had a cell phone at the time. Um, and so it was just a very, very, very simple way of living. And when I look back on it, it was this like unique microcosm with, within my life that set up patterns and habits and ways of thinking that, that affect every single moment of my day to this day. Um, the choices I make and and the language I use and who I spend time with and decisions I make for my business, it's, it was all impacted by that experience and what I learned during that period of life of, of really, really, really gaining an extremely strong trust in the power of the body to be in an optimal state of health when you give it what it needs to do that. And too often we just, we seem to now have more trust in technology and chemicals and, and all this man-made stuff. Um, but we never can outsmart, you know, what's in nature. No, exactly. And so, yeah, we cannot outsmart mother nature, no matter how hard we try. It's, uh, it's something that uh, mother nature always wins at the end. Yeah. So might as well just join forces with her, learn from her and then be like, okay, let's do this together as opposed to trying to go against. Um, we've seen it too many times in history. So you did that for three months and did all your symptoms go away? Yeah. So yes. all your symptoms went away, and yes. but you still obviously continue to eat, like eat that way. Like you still live your life by the principles of this is a food I can eat, this is a food I do not eat, and you're living symptom free. Which is, yes. if I was Marie Forleo right now, I'd have the gold. I don't know if you know Marie Forleo. <laughs> I know I haven't seen her shows in a long time, but oh, I am familiar with her. So funny. So anybody out there who doesn't know Marie Forleo, please get on her website because she's an amazing business coach and a copywriting coach um, and has great programs, but she's hilarious as hell. And she has these gold butt dancers, like these guys that are wearing like these yeah. literally shiny. And so you see these gold butts dancing, but I'm like, I need those people yeah. who are the healing heroes that come on our podcast show who have taken their health into their own hands. So anyway, I have fireworks going off for you right now. Thank you. I'm feeling it. <laughs> Amazing. So now what does life look like? Um, you know, you built your business. So tell us more about the businesses um, that you have created and what are the tools and resources and, you know, and I'm imagining you did it because you wanted to help people, but I'll let you Tell me why you started these businesses as well. Yeah, so after that experience where I'd been told what, where I had done what I'd been told was impossible, I did go back to school to study nutrition. 
that's where I met Josh Gitalis, who's now my husband. Uh, he was the only gentleman in the class. And I was like, that's the one. Um, took a couple of years for him to agree to finally date me, but uh, that's a story for another day. So uh, we, we both actually started building our businesses and doing our work side by side in some, in some cases. So around 2008, I officially launched my business, which was uh, teaching cooking classes. So I had gone through nutrition school and learned what I wanted and needed to learn, but they, there's still no cooking. There's no cooking involved. And it's like this massive gap in so much holistic and natural and integrative nutrition trainings that no one is learning how to actually work with the foods that we know we need to eat. And not just that, but how to make it so that you can eat these foods for every meal and every snack. And like that, this whole unprocessed from scratch way of living becomes easy and delicious and sustainable. And so I, I, in May of 2008, 11 years ago, I taught my very first cooking class, uh, teaching the six recipes I knew how to make. And it was amazing and it was so fun. And then I learned to make six more things and started building up a repertoire of cooking classes and workshops. And it was awesome. It was in the same location I'm in now. I used to live here and now it's our, then it was our kitchen for our classes and now it's just our offices. In 2012, I offered my very first online course, which was called Undiet Meal Prep Made Easy. Mm -hmm. um, a year later, my first book, Undiet, came out. And in the spring of 2014, yeah, five years ago, we launched the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, taking what had evolved into an in-person certification program where people came to the kitchen. I could fit eight or eight to 12 um, in the program at one time. And they'd come twice a week for a hands-on cooking class or a demonstration style workshop for 14 weeks, September to December, which is no accident because that's when my, my transition was. I'm like, if I could do it in this time span, anyone can do it in this time span. And, uh, and we started filling, I started filling, I say we, cause I don't know why I always had some either volunteers or eventually had, you know, full-time paid assistance. Um, and then in, uh, the spring of 2014, five years ago, we launched the Academy of Culinary Nutrition to offer this 14 week certification program online. And so we had a hundred people in our first run of the course, which blew my mind that it started with like six people around a vintage drafting table, which was my kitchen table at the time that it had grown into this. And now five years later, we had a party celebrating last night, the fifth anniversary and the launch of, of our new podcast, but we have now over 1800 graduates in 58 countries. And on top of that, we are now certifying instructors. So we have 300 instructors around the world teaching the same eight classes that I was teaching in my kitchen. And, and so it's just sort of infinitely multiplied the reach and capacity to get this vital information into people's homes, into their kitchens, into their mouths, into their bellies, into their cells, um, to really get that foundation of that, that we need to cook. It is non-negotiable. Um, and we need to know how to do it in a way that we can for all of our meals, hopefully, mostly, mm -hmm. um, to, and to really be empowered to know what our bodies need, how to heal and repair and prevent diseases, how to nourish our children, how to instill those values, how to serve our clients, 
uh, it's all so vital. And that sort of has been the progression of my own journey and how it evolved into, you know, the school is the core of my business. I do a whole bunch of other stuff too, but that's sort of the, the core of what takes up most of my time. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, I just love everything about you. First of all, everything from your critical thinking and your questioning and your, you know, like, you know, the red flags going up around the, you know, medications that the doctors are prescribing when you're still just a teenager. Um, and, you know, and just how that led on this journey and then healing yourself and then creating and giving back to people like being like, Hey, you know what? I learned this, let me share it with the world, um, and which is what we need to do when we learn something. So many of my clients, when they're sick, and then they do the therapy that I teach, and then they heal, a lot of them just want to get back to life. They're just like, I'm just so grateful to not have a disease. And so they go back to their job, they go back to their families, they go back to life, um, and they still live by these principles. But I often ask them, I'm like, hey, you know, do you want to share your story on a podcast? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to, and you know, and they're just like, no. And which yeah. I get, like, I completely get that not everybody is type A extrovert. Let's go tell the world my story. But at the same I am, time, for the record, I am an extreme introvert. Oh, you are? Yes. Oh, you don't come across that way at all in any of your videos or anything like that. So I love it. Um, <gasps> uh, videos are easy, but like put me in a networking room and I'm like hiding in the corner, like just wanting to disappear. Oh, that's so <laughs> interesting. Okay. So I take that back. Ent introvert or extrovert, um, you know, but it is, it, find a way to share your story. You don't have to teach cooking classes and create online courses and write a book, but it is nice just to share your story because these stories are incredibly powerful. And what we've seen is when people do share their stories, my clients do that, the doctors listen. And then they're like, what? You were my patient once. You stopped seeing me when you decided to take your health into your own hands, but they often don't get the feedback, right? They don't know what their client did. They might've, yeah. might've gone on the meds and then all the doctor knows is oh, great. You took the meds and the prescription I gave you. And now you're living, you know, whatever symptom free, um, with these meds. So I don't know. I just love, um, that you've gone and done this and have given back this way. I think it's important for everyone to recognize like, um, the influence that we have on those around us. We, and we have the ability and the responsibility and the privilege to choose our influence. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, going to your spouse, which is often what happens. like, you can't eat that. You're going to get sick. And I'm not going to like that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's often, let's be honest, women who make, health and lifestyle and dietary changes and the husbands who were often very resistant. Um, but if we just lead by example and be consistent with it, um, that's extremely powerful. And what most of us do end up having to, if we're not changing our whole careers and want to share our whole story is at least be open when someone asks you, you know, I noticed that you're looking a lot better because often that comes first. And it's not necessarily a weight loss thing. Um, it doesn't or shouldn't always have to be, but it's often like in the eyes and the skin and, and, and energy and a vibrancy. Um, but also don't be shy to say what you did. You know, it's an accomplishment. It goes against the extreme status quo and a paradigm where we're sort of all attempting to be ushered through and in. Um, and, so it's an accomplishment to be able to resist that and make those changes to, to choose a different path for yourself. And, 
And I think that when we do that, we've then earned the honor and the privilege of being able to share that and influence others in that direction without being, um, you know, I always say don't offer advice unless you're asked, which I think is important. Good piece of advice. <laughs> um, but but being, being, not being embarrassed or shy to share it either. Yeah, no, that's, I, I fully agree with you on that. Like, you know, if anybody out there does have a story to share, I mean, come to us. Like, we'll share your story to other people. Like, just give us permission to do that um, because you really could save somebody's life um, just by letting them know that, hey, you know what? This is why I don't drink alcohol or this is why I don't drink coffee or this is why I only eat, you know, these foods and I don't eat those foods. It's really simple. And I know it's hard because a lot of people are like, but you need all that extra blah, blah, blah. And you know, you can't live without X, Y, Z and you need to have dairy because you need calcium. Like there's so many misconceptions and I get that it's hard if you don't necessarily have the science or the nutritional training to explain it. But really what you could just say, Hey, you know what? These are the foods that I eat. These are the foods that I don't eat. And by eating these foods, I don't have the symptoms of my disease. And it's why I look this damn good. Like you yeah. could just say that. And it, you know, a lot of people, even my students, and we're teaching the teachers. So I'm giving them the education, like you said, so that, and it's not just for them. And I mean, some people take it absolutely for their own personal use, but so they then also have the confidence that is evidence-based. Like here's the study that says that this causes this, or this can help contribute to healing this. Um, but if someone is feeling like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't know how to explain it. To me, it's not a good enough reason not to talk about it. Go find the answers so that you are confident and comfortable when you, if you are questioned and, and just don't ever eat something or do something to make someone else feel more comfortable or better. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, my mother-in-law made this cake and I don't want to offend her offend her. It's not worth the stomach ache or the inflammation or whatever's going to happen to you the next day. Just, unfortunately, I really appreciate this gesture, but I, I can't. Yeah, no. And you know, there's two ways. I love um, Chef AJ. Have you come across Chef AJ? No. no. Anybody, I've talked about her a few times, I think, on our podcast, and we got to get her on the podcast. But just an incredible woman who, um, you know, had eating disorders and lots of emotional trauma as a young um, individual in the world. And so she was always battling like obesity and then trying to do every single diet. At the end of the day, she returned to plant based whole foods. Um, her weight is now perfect and ideal, and she's vibrant and healthy. She doesn't have any of the mental health issues that she battled with. And um, and, but you know, she actually, I love her because she's just like, I just lie. Like she'll go to a restaurant and people are serving all of this food and she will tell the chef, she'll be like, oh yeah, I'll drop dead. Cause I have this really rare disease. So if you give me any of this, 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 and this, um, I'll be in an ambulance being carted out of your house, your restaurant. So, you know, just make sure you feed me food that doesn't have that. And so the chef will be like, no problem. Well, she doesn't have a rare disease. She's not going to drop dead if she eats that stuff, but she just does. She's like, I will not eat that stuff. So yeah. she just goes out there and lies and it just makes it so much easier. And I just think that's hilarious because, you know, for me, I'm always trying to tell, be so honest and truthful and share the science, but sometimes that's hard to do at a party, right? And yes. yeah. So just, just lie. And, you know, or if you're not the person who could, you know, who really can be so honest to the point where, you know, you will offend the person. And this happened in my PhD program with one of the students. One of the other students was offering her like a, flowery, oily, sugary, processed cake that she made at home. And, you know, this other, my colleague wouldn't have it, but the other person kept saying, come on, just try it. You know, she made it just for the class. And she just turned around and she's like, 
let me tell you something. You don't push that food down my throat, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at it and everybody looked at her, but she doesn't care. She offends people, yeah. you know, but not everybody's also like that. So you got to find your way of being able to do it. So either you just are bold and you offend the person or you lie and just say, sorry, I can't do it. You know, I'm on a special cleanse. So yeah. I can't have that, whatever it is, but do not compromise your health for anybody else. At the no. end of the day. It's not worth it. And I battled with that um, when it came to alcohol. Mm. I don't actually like the taste of wine or beer. It doesn't, you know, but, you know, even my husband would be like, I'm going to pour a glass of wine. You want one? And I'd be like, sure. Why was I doing that? And yeah. you know, it was just automatic. So it was habitual. Yeah. Um, and I was maybe drinking four glasses a week or something like that, or maybe three glasses or some weeks, none at all. But for me, the whole point was that I just had no ability to say no to it. Or if mm -hmm. I was in a social setting, people would be, you know, at a birthday, everybody's like, let's have a glass of champagne. I'd be like, okay, I'd be drinking the glass of champagne. I don't even like it. I don't like champagne. I won't compromise for champagne. I will have a glass of wine. And uh, it's nice to be at a place now. Um, I know you sort of asked me about how I'm living now. I'm not nearly as strict as I was during healing, um, but I am extremely mindful. So jump into that. So jump into that now because um, I've just said no to wine. So I'm doing or no to alcohol. I'm doing one year no beer program um, with I cannot remember his name, but I'll put the podcast in the show notes. But it just really resonated with me because if you listen to that podcast and you substitute out refined processed food where he says alcohol, you'll realize that we are in this so same social context where we end up getting trapped um, or feeling trapped in making poor decisions just because society, you know, is yeah. doing that. So yeah, let's jump into what your life looks like now. And um, just so people can know what can life look like after you give yourself these three months. Right. So after immediately after like, I think what, what happens with a lot of us, and I went through nutritional, and I definitely swung to an extreme of being like super meticulous about everything. And I continued meditating twice a day, and I continued all of that while going through school, and then started my business. And I was still, you know, very, very mindful and conscious of every food and everything I was eating. And at the time, you know, as I mentioned, I met my husband in nutrition school, but he didn't date me for a couple of years. So I was dating other people. And I almost felt like, um, dating people outside of the nutrition world forced me to almost be a little more extreme to kind of like make my point mm -hmm. and that I couldn't compromise on anything because like they wouldn't fully get, you know, where that, where that window of, you know, okay was. But as, you know, and as I've evolved my life, um, the way that I approach it has also changed. So, you know, when, I was teaching cooking classes all the time. Like that was a certain period of my life. And then when my now husband, when we moved in together, we sort of developed our joint habits and what worked for us. And now with a son, basically it's, it's, you know, we have a very busy two-year-old and we each have our own businesses. And so we've just now, I think, you know, as my son's turning to, um, have sort of found like a really great rhythm where, you know, I get up, I'm still breastfeeding him. My husband goes to the gym really early. When he comes back, he gives our son breakfast and that's my time to work out or practice yoga. Um, then I have breakfast while well, my husband gets ready. And then we all will either walk my son, he goes to a drop-in center, we'll hang with him for a little bit until um, he has a nanny. So his nanny will come meet him there. Mm -hmm. And the way it's worked out is that I come to work um, I come to work five days a week 
now when he was little, I came, you know, two two to three days a week and we'll work from home the other days. It's a, it's a little bit more impossible right now to work from home. He knows I'm there. Uh, but I work roughly from 10 until 4.30 or 5, which is, you know, a delightful schedule for me at the time, at this, like at this time. Then I come home and I prep dinner with my son and we eat together at 6, give him a bath. And then my husband and I have our wind down time. And we still, you know, this morning was a beautiful day. We skipped both of our typical workouts and went for a walk in the park and let our son run around a bit in there. And we had that kind of free time. And we still eat strictly gluten-free and dairy-free and sugar-free. Um, and I don't drink any coffee. Uh, I don't really have anything with, with added sweetener at all anymore. Um, I don't eat a lot of grains anymore. And it's just really evolved based on my needs at the time. And they've changed. I was strictly vegan for a period until that wasn't quite the right approach for me. Um, it was very different while I was pregnant. It was different immediately after having my baby and my diet and lifestyle continues to evolve. What doesn't change is my commitment to eating unprocessed foods, to cooking as many of my meals from scratch at home. We'll go out for dinner maybe once or twice a month. Um, I know that I can't eat restaurant food two nights in a row. Um, I don't get a flare up of symptoms. I just feel really lousy from, I think from the oils and all the salt, um, but it's still sometimes nice to go out. And so that's sort of the compromise we make is to be able to go out and have that nice experience, my husband and I together. Um, and we have the restaurants that we like and that we know can modify and, and do what we need to do. But we are 100% gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free. And we everything we have in our house is organic. Um, and we're committed to that. And we've managed so far uh, to our son is gluten-free. Uh, He's a bit of a, a cheese monster. He likes, he likes his um, like raw, the raw cheese we can get at the market. Um, but our son has never had a noodle. <laughs> He's never had a piece of toast. Um, like Cheerio? a lot of the things that, what's that? The Cheerio? No, we, there's no in it. There's no one way Cheerio cups for on the go snack. So we've, we've fed him a hundred percent whole foods unpackaged diet. Um, he loves eating. He loves all the food. He'll eat spicy curries. He'll eat, uh, you know, all kinds of seasoned, like well-seasoned foods. He, he eats whatever we're eating or we eat whatever he's eating. And yeah. the textures of the vegetables and the fruits he's all good with. And yeah, I mean, there's, he's getting more selective and I, I don't actually believe it's anything to do with the food. I have to think it has to do with him asserting himself. Yeah. Um, but you know, if we make, say, a stir fry and he wants to like pick out the red peppers or the carrots. So I've just started cutting everything a little bit smaller, mixing it all together and he eats it and he's super happy. Yeah. So and yeah, we don't. That's a huge commitment to make because in this day and age when we are so busy with everything and you and your husband are running businesses, I mean, it is so easy to grab the package processed food. And when I had my daughter, she's almost 15 now. And, you know, I didn't know about this back then. Um, and so, but I would still buy hundred percent organic. It was still, still predominantly like, you know, whole food, but definitely like I was doing the organic, like, you know, pouches. Yeah. You know, in, in, in things like we didn't even have squirty pouches back then. Yeah. Like, that was an interesting thing that only came out, I think when my 
daughter who's eight now when she was a baby. So, you know, but even then I was making all her baby food. We would give her, um, a people on the sea bus in North Vancouver would like all be staring at me when I'd be on the sea bus and I'd peel the top off an avocado and I'd have a spoon and I would just jam it into the avocado and give her that food or same thing with a banana. Like I'd not even cut the banana. I was like too yeah. busy to even cut the bananas. I just bring the whole banana, peel off the top a little bit and then just scoop out banana for her when she was a one-year-old or a six-month-old or whatever and feed her that way. And people would be like, what are you feeding your child? And yeah, and it's I was interesting because we've never, I've been told <laughs> it's really hard to do all that from scratch, but it was never an option not to. So mm. I don't actually know any other way to feed my child. I imagine that if you had a child and you're like, oh, you can get, you know, your baby food ready made and get the smoothie pouches and the packets of goldfish crackers and, and the boxes of macaroni and cheese and, and all of that. But it's, it's never been something we would eat. Yes. So I'm not going to buy that for my child. And he goes to, it's called an early on, it's like a school drop-in center. Um, they provide a snack, but we bring his own snack. And he so far hasn't questioned it. I recognize that there's more challenges when they start regular school and there's, you know, the dreaded birthday party. I'm like, he doesn't need any friends. He's fine with just me. Um, and I know that those, those circumstances will come up, but my, I have a very strong belief and hopefully soon it becomes a strong knowing that we educate him on food now. When we're making a smoothie, we're telling him what's going in it. When we serve him his plate of food, um, without the little dividers on it, you know, we give him this, he eats the same way we eat. We tell him exactly what he's eating um, and why it's so good for us that, you know, I'm sure he's going to want to try all this stuff, but I also have every confidence in his, in, you know, intelligence yeah. to understand, you know, if he knows the why behind the choices we make in our home, he's, that's going to stick. And the other thing for parents to understand too is that what you've done with your son and what we did with our kids is we expose them to these different colors and textures and flavors and um, different herbs and spices. So their brain is actually comfortable with it. It's not foreign to them. If yeah. you only expose your child to processed refined food, you're basically only exposing them to three flavors, which is salt, sugar, and oil. So that's all they know. They don't understand that, you know, when you crunch a red pepper in one time of the year, it might taste a little bit bitter. And in another time, it's a little bit sweet, but it's exciting and it's expected versus a child who's never been exposed to those textures and flavors. Um, and it's not as sweet as, yeah. you know, like, for example, the salty, um, cheesy, um, what do you call those little goldfish crackers? Yeah, goldfish crackers that, I mean, when I, like I've tasted those and it's pure salt that I'm tasting. Yeah. So that's what your child is going to start looking for. And you cannot compete after you do that. It's so hard to go the opposite way and be like, Hey, but I want you to have a red pepper when there's a red pepper and a cheesy cracker, the cheesy cracker will always win. So you have to train their brains to those multitude of different experiences that come with eating and smelling food. Yeah. I mean, we, I started adding turmeric and other spices to his purees when we were just introducing food. And what's amazing to us is like, we'll make a stir fry with like a lot of ginger in it. So it's got that kick and he still, he loves it. And we make on the weekends, we make like an orange grapefruit turmeric juice, which I dilute his. And so that's, we call that orange juice. And then we go to the store and we get green juice or when we make green juice. So he's always just asking for juices by their color. Mm. Um, and he's never had like a straight up juice. He drinks tons of like, he drinks water. 
like five five out of six five five or six days out of the week um he only drinks water or we'll make him like a nettle tea which is like our green juice exactly. um and just ice that and it's amazing what can happen um because we are setting that example. Like that's how we are eating. And I think a bigger challenge is that oftentimes parents don't want to be eating what they know their kids need to be eating. You'd be so shocked in our restaurant. So our restaurants are the green mustache and we have, you know, it's all hundred percent organic plant-based whole foods. Um, you know, we don't have any salt shakers. We don't um, add additional oil other than a little bit of coconut oil in a couple of our desserts. Um, and then, you know, and we don't have any refined sugars. Um, in you know, back in the beginning, I remember we got an order of, uh, like organic raw cane sugar um somehow like it just ended up in our delivery and i think that things is like a, it's used as a weight it's frozen it's like rock solid at our house and we use it as a weight for something like when we're doing construction which is so funny that like no sugar used other than like dates and you know maybe a bit of maple syrup and you know and like applesauce or something like that yeah. so but it's amazing how many parents come in that will be sitting there at our tables eating our food and their kids have Kentucky fried chicken, you know, and we have to say that, you know, sorry, like we make up a, you can't have that in there cause it's cross contamination. And, but you know, yeah. and what I really truly want to say is like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're feeding your yeah. kid Kentucky fried chicken. And I know what they're going to say. They're like, but my kids won't eat this food. Well, of course they're not going to eat the food if they know you're going to buy them Kentucky fried chicken. You cannot yeah. compete with Kentucky Fried Chicken. Do they buy that chicken themselves? They buy their own Oreos? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And parents, you know, they feel like, I don't know, like, well, your child's not going to starve themselves. I guarantee it. They're going to be mad at you. A teenager will be mad at you if you do not buy them Oreos and Kentucky Fried Chicken one day. They were going to be mad. But at the end of the day, you know, unless they're making their own money, like, they're going to end up eating the food that you make them right? Yeah. And, you know, now one thing I can just rest assured, your child will go to birthday parties and they're going to be the last child at the table, literally dipping the green peppers and red peppers into hummus. And you're going to have the parents coming up to you and being like, what's wrong with your kid? Like they yeah. just clean the whole table of all the vegetables. And you know what? I don't care if they do that. And then if they decide to have a piece of cake or whatever, but what we've also found is our kids will go and they'll have like two bites of the cake because they're like, that's all they need. They're like, it's so sweet. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So they'll have a couple bites of it. No big deal. They'll eat an Oreo. Like, you know, the kid's piano teacher doesn't hand out Oreos at the end of piano recital. And you know, all the kids are excited for it, but I actually don't even care because of the fact that I know that 99% of the time they're eating really, really clean, real food. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like sure. the glass of wine. They can have the glass of wine slash Oreo cookie, um, you know, if the rest of the time they're eating well. So I think your child's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's doing, he's doing great. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, I feel like I can, there's so many other questions I want to ask you about um, everything that you're doing, but I can let our listeners discover you. So how can people discover you? Yes. If any of your listeners, hi everybody, if you're interested in, uh, learning more about the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and becoming a culinary nutrition expert, head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. There's a little preview of the course. And I also have a free training that is culinarynutrition.com forward slash free training where we make an amazing gluten-free, dairy-free, refined, sugar-free, soy-free, sesame-free, nut-free, so totally allergen-friendly. Um, it's like a double chocolate chunk banana muffin. 
so good. Uh, and if you want to learn more about me, I'm at megantelpner.com or megantelpner on Instagram. So that's, that's where all the goods are. Amazing. Thank you. And who can, who should sign up for your program? Because I don't want people listening to this podcast and being like, well, I don't have Crohn's, therefore I shouldn't sign oh. up. Stuff. No, if you eat food, it's a good place to start. Uh, <laughs> so the program isn't disease specific. Uh, all of our students are invited to choose a condition of choice they want to focus on for the term so that you're really, you know, targeting your learning on something that is acutely of interest to you. Um, or you can choose general topics, but it's, it's really about people who want to gain confidence in the kitchen, uh, learn how to cook from scratch, learn the healing properties of food, some traditional food preparation methods, and potentially who are interested in learning ways to share this with others. So we have graduates who are teaching their own cooking classes and workshops. We have people who are doing recipe development, recipe testing, cookbook writing, um, product development. So, and lots of other things. Um, so there's so many ways to apply this. And I think it's one of those things like learning how to manage your finances, your, your own accounting, uh, your bank balances, that kind of stuff. Um, knowing how to cook and how to nurse yourself and your family um, is such a fundamental skill that every human being on the planet needs to have. And, and this is a great place to start, uh, whether you already have nutrition training or this is your first dive in. And yeah, I love that you mentioned that, that whether you feel like you're an expert already, like one of the things just from having gone through um, looking at your programs and getting the feedback from Andrea, who works for us, who did my training and then went on and did your training. Um, and, you know, she loved it and she ranted and raved about it. And, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to sign up for your training because of the fact that we get into a rut and we tend to make the same things over and over and over again. And we all buy a million recipe books. And at the end of the day, we forget to open them up because we just are like so busy. So yeah. by doing this training, paying for something is so important. And I love the fact yeah. that when people do that, they can usually commit to doing it often. And, um, and it's also, I'm just like, I'm so curious about what kind of recipes you have um, that are different from, and just to mix it up and to surprise and delight my family. And, yeah. so, you know, people would think like, why would you take a cooking course? You have a restaurant, but of course I'm going to do that. Like I'm never going to stop learning and exposing myself to new stuff. So um, I think in the, this fall, when I have a little bit more downtime, I'm going to do that. And only because I often say like, oh, I hate cooking and I hate being in the kitchen. And it's actually not true. I just hate it now because of the fact that I'm kind of bored with the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. I recognize that too. I am like, Oh, like, especially around this time of year before, especially, I mean, here in Ontario, nothing's quite in season yet, especially because we've had a very late start to the summer. I'm like, Oh, no more squashes. Like I just can't look at another squash, but there is something really nice about trying other people's cooking and learning from how other people do and make things. I should mention that the program only runs September to December. Oh, um, perfect. perfect timing yeah, for me. We, exactly. We only run it once a year. And so everyone goes through the program together in a class. And if you're in one of the three certification levels, you're assigned a dedicated program coach who works with smaller groups of students throughout the course. So uh, we have an incredibly high uh, graduation and success rate because of that accountability. And it's, it's like, it creates this really amazing group dynamic for everyone as well to connect. And it's online. So anybody can do it anywhere in the world. Yes. It's 100% online. So beautiful. People sign up for Megan's course. Please get her cookbook. Yeah. Um, 
you have the Undiet Cookbook, but you also have the Undiet Book as well, right? Yes, I have. I'll hold them up since they're right here. This is the book that came out in 2013, Undiet, and this is the Undiet Cookbook. This is more of a lifestyle guide, and this is all recipes, all gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free, and there are vegan options and grain-free paleo options for nearly every recipe so that there's options for everyone. That is so brilliant. Thank you for doing that for people. And so people sign up. You don't have to have a disease to do this. You don't have to be sick. You just want to do it because you want to make the world a better place. You want to make your family um, better humans, more vibrant, healthy, amazing humans. Thank you, Megan, for being on our show. You are such a delight. And we're going to have to have you on again for sure. Aw, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the amazing work you're doing um, in helping empower and educate people. It's so important. And uh, we need more of us out there doing it. We do. Lots of us out there. We're not the only one. So thank you. Thank you for being part of that tribe of healers in the world. I love it. Um, have an amazing day. And you. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that show and all the wisdom that Megan imparted by sharing her story of being diagnosed with Crohn's disease and how she was then able to go on and inspire thousands of people around the globe to also use their kitchen as a local pharmacy to be able to reverse disease. So no for sure that you don't have to have a chronic disease to make these lifestyle changes. The science is there, 200 years of evidence-based medicine that shows us that food is our medicine and we have to use that first and foremost before we consider other things like the drugs and the surgery because you can even prevent the surgeries and get off the drugs or prevent getting on drugs by diving into your kitchen and returning to real clean, unprocessed, unrefined food first and imagine what you can accomplish in life when you do that when you have the energy like Megan received from making these lifestyle changes she probably would not have been able to go on and start her academy academy of culinary nutrition or write her books or go on and even have a baby if she had continued to live in that state of lethargy of fatigue of you know chronic illness and having to cancel plans, having to cancel living if she hadn't taken her health into her own hands. So imagine where you could be tomorrow or where you can be in six weeks from now or three months from now if you prioritized your health. So I hope this show inspired you. And if it did, 
please go a step further and share this podcast with someone that you love who is battling some type of chronic degenerative health issue. You could help them tremendously and just imagine who they could be in this world if they were to listen to this podcast and take the first step to using food as medicine to turn their health around. So let us know what you thought about our podcast, share it with others, sign up for our nutrition and detox training program, sign up for Megan's programs. And if you know of someone who has used food as medicine to heal themselves, reach out to us on our website at info at richer health, or you can email us at info at richerhealth.ca or go to our website and fill out the form tell us a bit about your story and give us the contact information and we will invite that person to be on our podcast so we can help people learn about this life-saving information so in the meantime eat clean eat real eat unrefined and heal be well <music>